All right. I couldn't quit on the feast yet. I just couldn't quit. Two weeks ago, um, Rick Manis, really, if you connected the two, the things that he was teaching about what's happening in the world today, that it's not bleak like we think. There are a lot of things happening that are not bleak at all. That the Lord really is doing some things in the earth, and, one, and he's doing it personally in us, personally in Rick. He talked about that, that the transformation of his life, and he feels things he never felt before, that, that love is pri primary in his thinking and in his heart, and that's what he feels. That's the driving force about, behind what God's doing and what God's about to do. Grace is the driving force of love. Love's the driving force behind everything else. You can't understand love until you understand grace. You can't understand God's love or receive God's love, not fully, until you understand the finished work of Jesus. And the church has been messed up and mixed up for a long time. And it's one of the reasons I believe it's impeded what God has had on his heart to do. But it's changing. Not that he didn't know about all this. He did. But things are changing. We don't always, all of us, preach and teach and listen to and receive a mixed message of law and grace. There's a lot of people that don't anymore. And there's more and more all the time. I'm telling you, grace is spreading to more and more people, causing the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. It's happening in the earth. It's happening now to some extent. And it will grow. See, the true gospel, not the mixed gospel. The mixed gospel is no gospel. It is not good news. True, the true gospel transforms people's lives. Every time, it never misses. <laughs> it never fails. Received, it doesn't fail. And that will be a driving force in the future of what God's going to do. Okay, let me quickly catch you up. I'm not going to spend much time in review. I'm assuming that you're all very deep theologians. I'm just going to throw out a few things and you can figure out the rest. Okay. We know the feasts are these things, these, these events that happened in the nation of Israel. These feasts or gatherings or uh, somewhat ritualized commemorative events in their lives. Commemorate something that happened to them or with them. Now, those things did happen to them. But there was all kinds of uh, spiritual attachments to what happened that they didn't know anything about. Couldn't have known anything about it. How could they know that Passover is a tremendous picture of Jesus? How could they have known that? They didn't know it. But it is. You understand that, right? What they did for Pentecost had really nothing in their minds to do with the Holy Spirit. It, it, was, it, it, it didn't happen based upon the coming of the Spirit. Something else happened to cause them to celebrate Pentecost. Tabernacles also is an event, a thing, that they celebrate, commemorate, but here it gets a little more fuzzy. Uh, these things did happen in the nation of Israel, but we don't know the full application of the spiritual implications of this. We don't, we don't know yet. It hadn't been fulfilled. How could we know? Now, we do have some insight into it, though. 
And we do have some knowledge about it and some understanding. And a little bit of understanding of this is just going to send your heart racing because it is truly exciting and uplifting. If your eschatology leads you to a place of fear and, and you're waiting for a great apocalyptic event that's going to scare the world to death and, and all this kind of stuff happening, you're off track, dude. You, you missed it. I'm sorry. Your eschatology is wrong. Sorry. I know you love it, but it's wrong. So turn loose of it. Look at some other things in other ways. I'm not saying Jesus is not coming back. He is. But what we're going to see today, he's coming back for a bride that's powerful. He's coming back for, for a bride that is really, truly uh, manifesting his life. I don't mean in small ways. I mean in big ways. Now, these, you have to understand that this is all progressive. It's going somewhere. God has always been going somewhere. Always. Let me give you some examples of that. Just a few quick things to show you this. They met Passover, first month, Pentecost, third month, tabernacle, seventh month, or the last month of the religious calendar. So you got a beginning, roughly a middle, and an end. You see the progression of all this stuff. And really, it is a progression of the activity of God in the earth. A progression. Are you listening? Are you hearing me? I want you to understand that. It's a progression of the activity of God in the earth. More, more, and more. Okay? So there's more to come. Just a few little things. All of this, obviously, tabernacles also relates to the last days. It has to. It's not the middle of the season. It's toward the end of the season. You understand? It's, how long has it been since Pentecost? Roughly 200 and, I mean, 2,000 and whatever years, right? So we're over 2,000 years removed past the revelation of Pentecost in Acts 2. I'd say that we're in the last days. That's what I would say. Now, those last days may last 10,000 years. I don't know. But we've been there since, moving toward whatever it is that God is going to do before the coming of Jesus. Okay? You can see the progression. Passover, Pentecost, tabernacles. Egypt, wilderness, Promised land. Mount Goshen, Egypt. Mount Sinai, wilderness. Mount Zion, promised land. The city of the living God. You see the progression of that. You see it moving somewhere. Slavery, Egypt. Uh, wandering, wilderness. Rest and promise in the promised land. You see that progression. Okay? Uh, outer court in the tabernacle and the temple outer court inner court holy of holies revelation of Jesus Passover outer court the, the place of sacrifice the place of uh, 
gathering of everyone. Anybody could come into the outer court. Okay. Outer court reveals Jesus. Inner court reveals the Spirit. The first part of the building. The Holy Spirit. The seven golden lampstand. Table of showbread. All of that is a revelation of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, Passover. Spirit, Pentecost. Holy of Holies reveals who? Jesus, the Spirit, the Father. You see, a revelation of the Father by the Father. The Father begins to reveal more and more himself, who he is as our Father. What message in the world promotes or produces more understanding and intimacy with the Father than grace. There isn't one. So what I'm saying to you is there's a progression that's always been going on. You don't have to progress if you don't want to. You can say a Passover Christian if you want. You never have to be engaged with the Holy Spirit. Uh, You don't have to receive the Holy Spirit. You don't have to listen to the Holy Spirit. You can be afraid of the Holy Spirit. You can reject the Holy Spirit. You can do whatever you want to do. But you don't have to. You don't have to stay there. You can receive the Spirit. He's here. He's already in you. You can receive him, receive his gifts, receive what he does, receive what he thinks, receive his leadership, become intimate with him, and learn more about everything if you want to. If you don't want to, stay back where you are if you're afraid of it, okay? You you can have that choice. I can also tell you this, for you Pentecostal Christians, you Pentecostal Christians, don't stay at Pentecost. There's more. There's more to learn. There's more to understand. There's more to appropriate. There's more to experience. So don't stop there and believe that your Pentecostal or charismatic uh, bubble is the end of things because it isn't. There's more. Don't leave it behind. Take it with you. See what I mean? There's something to experience in tabernacles that the church has not experienced yet. Now we have everything that pertains to, to life and godliness already. We just haven't seen it all. And God hasn't done some of the things that he's going to do in the end days yet. But he will. And uh, it's, it's just wonderful. All right. There's early rain, Pentecost. Latter rain, tabernacles. Meaning, I'm talking about rain, rain. And I'm also talking about spirit rain. Both those two things. This is what produces the great harvest in tabernacles of people, of human beings. These sheaves that are gathered, they represent people. Millions of people, I believe. Uh, It's just an activity of God in the earth that we haven't seen. The greatest expression of the life of God happens in tabernacles. And that's where we're headed. Okay, Exodus 23, 16 says this. It calls uh, tabernacles the feast of harvest or the feast of ingathering. Deuteronomy 16 also says the same thing. So there's going to be great harvest. Now, 
we've had harvest. I mean, people have come to the Lord historically all the time. I did, you did, we all did. And there's others that have, many, many, as you know. But not enough. Not enough. I mean, look in Acts, the early chapters of Acts. I want that. I, I, I want that kind of atmosphere. I, I want to be able to turn the city upside down. I want God to do that. Don't you? Yes. I want to experience some of that. I want to see it. I want, for people's sake. Well, I really believe that that's going to happen. But it hasn't happened yet. In, in measure, it has. Uh, the future holds some without measure things. Some without measure things are going to happen. God has more for his people. All right. Ephesians 3.19, Paul prayed that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. That we might be filled with the fullness of God. I believe we are filled with the fullness of God. But... I don't know about you, but I have to know that and appropriate it every day. Seems like you know I have to. I have to say, okay, okay. I go back. I, I have everything, the fullness of God. I know He's done everything He's going to do, but I have to appropriate that. Seems like. Seems like sometimes He doesn't help me much in that either. <laughs> I. Sometimes I feel like he does. Sometimes I think he doesn't. I don't know. I've talked to him about it. Why is this? Why is this still a challenge for me and for others to walk in the spirit, to love, to, to hear you, to be confident of your voice and your actions and all that? Why is that sometimes hard for me to do? Sometimes he doesn't say anything. And other times he says, eh, don't worry about it. It's going to get better. You know, things like that. I got everything. I, don't, I got everything under control. Don't get ahead of yourself. I'm going to help you. Things like that. I, I struggle. We're not going to have these kinds of struggles in the future. And it's going to happen quickly. Romans 9, 28 says the Lord will exercise his word upon the earth thoroughly and quickly. He'll do a quick work. It'll be a fast, quick, powerful work. And in tabernacles, we get the fullness. He's reserved for his bride. It'll come. Last week, when Bill Snell was teaching, I, I agreed with what Bill said. He said the church must awaken. The church needs to awaken. And he gave us a list of things we need to awaken to. And I agree with all those too. I agree that we need to awaken to our identity. We need to awaken to his fatherhood, his presence. We need to awaken to the absolute truth of the gospel, the pure gospel, and understand it. And all, we need to awaken to all those areas. I agree with everything he said. But I want to take it one step further. The church doesn't just need to awaken the church will awaken. It will. We will. 
It will happen. As surely as Passover happened and as surely as Pentecost happened, tabernacles will happen. God will fulfill it. It's going to happen. It's going to happen before the coming of Jesus. The Lord's not going to snatch a defeated church out of a bad situation and watch millions of people go through torture and torment. If your theology and eschatology leads you to that, then you are worshiping a God that I don't like. I'm not saying I wouldn't be afraid of him. I would be, but I wouldn't like him. That's not the kind of God we worship. That's not the kind of father that we've seen Jesus reveal. Right? Okay. So let that adjust your theology instead of letting your theology adjust what Jesus demonstrated and showed us and taught us about the father. Okay? Now let me run through some things real quickly. Uh, It'll all be over with pretty fast. Okay? Um, Zechariah 3.9. I want you to see this. This is the, the mention of this. Zechariah chapter 3 verse 9. It says, For behold the stone that I have set before Joshua. On one stone are seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave an inscription on it, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of, that, of the land in one day. In Zechariah 4.10 For who has despised the day of small things? But these seven, these seven will be glad when they see that the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel, these are the eyes of the Lord which range to and fro throughout the whole earth. Revelation 1.4 talks about, mentions the seven spirits of God. Revelation 3.1 mentions the seven spirits of God. Revelation 4.5 says this, "Between, Between the throne I saw a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. You ever wondered what the seven spirits of God are? What are these seven spirits? Well, I don't believe he's talking about seven different spirits. There's only one Holy Spirit, but there's seven manifestations of the spirit. Okay? Now, Isaiah 11. Isaiah chapter 11. Look in verse 1. It says, then a shoot will spring up from the stem of Jesse. We know that was Jesus, right? And a branch from his roots will bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he will judge the poor. Okay, now let me give you the list of these Spirits that were upon and in and through Jesus. All right, that's what it's talking about. This is a messianic uh, prophecy that he's talking about. Okay, there's a spirit of wisdom, spirit of understanding, spirit of counsel, spirit of strength and might, might, spirit of knowledge, spirit of the fear of the Lord, and spirit of righteousness. Those are the seven. Now we're going to see these seven manifestations of the fullness of the Spirit of God. And that really is what's going to change things, I believe. Okay? I'm not certain about this, but I'm confident. Now, how does this fit? 1 Corinthians 12. You see a list of the nine manifestations of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12. Okay? You call them gifts, but they're really manifestations of the Spirit. 
And I've, I and others have put two of these things together. Okay, we see the list of the spirits, seven spirits of God, seven operative manifestations of the Spirit in Jesus, the nine manifestations of the Spirit in the New Testament. Now, let's compare the two. It says in Isaiah chapter 11 that we have, that he had the spirit of wisdom. Jesus had a spirit of wisdom. See, Jesus didn't need a word of wisdom, which is listed in the manifestation of the spirit. That's just a manifestation. It, it kind of comes and it kind of goes. It's a spirit as a spirit will. You can't have a word of wisdom just because you want to have one. Okay? It comes and goes. And for ministry uses and so forth, word of wisdom. In tabernacles, you don't need a word of wisdom because the spirit of wisdom will rest upon you. All that wisdom means, you will have. Operate. Operate in it. You'll operate in it. The spirit of wisdom. Jesus operated in it. He didn't need a word of wisdom. He had the spirit of wisdom upon him. Second gift is discerning of spirits. Second manifestation, discerning of spirits in 1 Corinthians 12. But instead of this discerning of spirits, you really won't need to discern spirits because you have a spirit of understanding. Jesus had understanding. He understood. John 2.24 says that Jesus had understanding. The third one is the gift of prophecy. Well, what spirit corresponds to that? I think it's the spirit of counsel. If the gift of prophecy, you'll have the spirit of counsel. Jesus did. Matter of fact, it says in Isaiah 9, 6, that unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and he shall be called, what? Wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father. So he's counselor. The spirit of counsel is upon him. The spirit of counsel will be upon you, I believe. And then the next one is... Uh, the gifts of healings and miracles. I lump those two together. Healings and miracles. Healing is a miracle. Miracles manifest in healing sometimes. Instead of the gift of healing and the gift of miracles, there will be the spirit of strength or might, the spirit of power. His name shall be called Mighty God. So does that mean that there will be a lot more manifested type miracles. I'm not sure, but I sure think so. That certainly did accompany the work of God in the first century. Right? You ever read the book of Acts? There's a whole bunch of stuff that happened. And amazing things. God produced miracles. Only God could do this. The spirit of power was upon Jesus. The spirit of might was upon Jesus. Matter of fact, you know, he healed everybody he wanted to. He healed everybody he 
touched that needed healing, right? He healed them all that came. So I believe God will manifest his power. I'm not sure that will be an external mighty feats of God and miracles like that, but it will be miracles in human beings. I know that. I know that there will be some people, many people, that will wake up after having some kind of dream that God gave them, and they're believers all of a sudden. You know, God doing things that we can't do. God, but God taking our words and our life and our heart, our anointing, our, our peace, our rest, God using all of that stuff to influence by the, by the hundreds, every one of you, by the hundreds of people that you run across. There's something very attractive about the body of Christ when the body of Christ is not so messed up. So, I think there will be great miracles happen. And the fifth one is the word of knowledge. And obviously, Colossians 2, 3 says, in Jesus are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So instead of having a word of knowledge, you have a spirit of knowledge that operates in you all the time. The spirit of knowledge. Don't need a word of knowledge. <clears throat> the sixth one is the gift of tongues and interpretation. I put those two together. Obviously, they are linked. Now, Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't speak in tongues, not that we have any record of. Why didn't he? He didn't need to. <laughs> he didn't need to. He didn't need to say things to God that he didn't understand or know what to ask for, right? What about this side over here, right? I mean, <laughs> he wouldn't need to do that, would he? No, no. You do, though, sometimes. You, you, you do, though, sometimes. Pray in the Spirit when you don't know what to pray. Worship in the Spirit when you don't know what to say. You're overwhelmed. The words don't adequately express what you're feeling. Just I just sing in the Spirit. I, I figure he's, he said he's saying things that I had no comprehension of. And I said, that's what I want you to do. Because I don't have any comprehension of what I'm trying to say. Would you please say it for me? Right? However, the corresponding gift here to uh, tongues and interpretation uh, what did I connect that with? Oh, yeah. This corresponds to the, to the spirit of the fear of the Lord. It was listed in Isaiah chapter 11. Okay, now, now listen. Let me talk to you about that just a minute. The spirit of the fear of the Lord. That doesn't sound really great, does it? However, it really is. It really is. You remember the incident in uh, uh, the, the book of Acts where the four friends let the sick guy, the crippled guy, down through the roof of this building where Jesus was teaching to the group because they couldn't get in the door? 
and they were determined. You, you remember that? Um, Luke 5.26 says this, they were all seized with astonishment and began glorifying God and they were filled with fear saying we have seen remarkable things today. They were filled with fear. The word translated fear there is really awe. Awe. They were filled with awe. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to, once or twice before you die and go to heaven, just be filled with awesome awe? You think, whoa! <laughs> I would say, dang! Dang, it would shake you to the core of your heart. Wouldn't it? Well, the, incident, the same thing happened the next day when he raised the widow named son from the dead. Oh, golly, unbelievable. The spirit of the fear of the Lord. Now listen to me. It'll be awe to a lot of us. It'll be fear to some. You'll be afraid of it. I mean, really? Afraid of him? But we won't be. We're going to be in a perpetual state, I believe, of awesomeness. Awesome. Incredible. Wow, unbelievable. You can't wait to tell everybody about what you just saw, what you just experienced. You, you can't keep it inside. It just... <laughs> Got to tell somebody. Got to tell somebody. Awesome. The spirit of the fear of the Lord. The awe of God. And finally, the gift of faith. And instead of the gift of faith, we'll have the spirit of righteousness. You know, Jesus is righteous. Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. You won't need the gift of faith. The spirit of righteousness will empower me to believe. To believe. Okay, a couple of quick illustrations here. In Exodus 25, we see in the tabernacle of Moses inside the, holy, uh, inside the uh, inner court, you see a seven golden lampstand. This thing was so constructed until it had a bowl with oil in it that had little pipes that go to the, to the lamp. It had to be refilled every morning and every evening. They kept it burning perpetually. Look what happens in Zechariah 4. Remember that, what I just said about the, the oil. Zechariah 4. Look at this. Verse 1. And then the angel who was speaking to me returned and roused me as a man who was awakened from his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? And I said, I see, behold, a lampstand all of gold with its bowl on the top of it and its seven lamps on it with seven spouts belonging to each of the lamps which are on top of it. That's the description of it. 
Also, two olive trees by it, one on the right side of the bowl and one on the left side of the bowl. Then verse 6, then he answered and said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Olive trees. These bowls, these lamps will never have to be refilled. They are perpetually lit from the source. Supernaturally. That's what he's talking about. So, you're not going to have to refill your bowl. (laughs) You're not going to have to refill your bowl. Haggai 2.9. Some of these scriptures make sense to you when you begin seeing it. Haggai 2.9 prophesied that the, the glory of the latter house will exceed the glory of the former. God always had in mind for an outpouring. One other scripture, I'll be done. She listened to this in Isaiah 66. Verse 9, 7, verse 7. Now think about this. It says, before she travailed, she brought forth. Before her pain came, she gave birth to a boy. And that's not possible. Before she travailed, she brought forth. Before her pain came, she gave birth to a boy. That's something supernatural right there. And it says, who has heard such a thing? Can a land be born in one day? Can a nation be brought forth all at once? As soon as Zion travailed, she also brought forth her sons. Shall I I bring to the point of birth and not give delivery, says the Lord? Or shall I who gives delivery shut the womb, says your God? Then in verse 18. For I know their works and their thoughts. The time is coming to gather all nations and tongues and they shall come and they shall see my glory. When God created Adam, He brought all the animals before him and asked him to name them, didn't he? There wasn't a one found suitable for him as a helpmeet for him. So God put him to sleep, and out of his side, he formed a woman. He named her Adam. They were Adam. It wasn't until after the fall that she was called Eve, which means less than. Less than. Before the fall, Adam and Eve weren't even aware of their own nakedness in the presence of God at all, or each other. Uh, Well, I'm pretty sure Adam... I probably was aware of it. (laughs) Uh, 
But it says, the reason that was so is what? They were clothed in the glory of God. What God is going to do Many will have that experience before the coming of Jesus on earth. The glory of God. So God's up to something. Don't you, don't you, don't you get fearful? Don't you get to dreading what's ahead? You embrace what God's doing. You move forward in it. You keep your eyes on him, not on everything else around. Because I'm telling you, he's not done. He's not done. The big stuff's ahead. As big as some things have been to this point, it's going to get bigger. Okay? Stand up. Let me pray for you. Remember the prophecy that the season is coming when the glory of God covers the earth like the water covers the sea. The glory of God covering the earth as the water covers the sea. Hmm. Lord, thank you for the hope that's ahead. Thank you for the hope we have now. Thank you, Lord. I just thank you ahead of time. I don't even know how to describe it. I know I don't see much, Lord. I know it's just a little pinprick of light, but what I do see makes me so excited I can't stand it. Thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. You're faithful and true. Thank you that every promise you've ever made will be fulfilled every commitment you've ever made is absolute everything you are you fully are and wholly are thank you Lord I know you don't need us but thank you for wanting us (laughs) choosing to let us experience what you are We love you, Lord. We just thank you for your love for us, for your great grace and kindness and mercy and gentleness, for taking us slowly along a road, a path where we don't stumble, for doing things in the fullness of your time. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you that there's another time coming when time will be full and you're ready to act just as you have in the past. So by faith, Lord, we just receive our future as the church. We receive our future as the bride, body of Christ. We receive our future individually as anointed people. Thank you for what y'all you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.